we are continuing uh, our conversation about um, looking at where it all began. Uh, I've been doing a series kind of, we're basically going through the book of Acts, um, and I'm not going kind of chapter by chapter. I'm really going more story uh, by story and kind of hitting these highlights uh, in the book of Acts. So if you're looking for a book uh, to read through, uh, if you want to read through the book of Acts uh, with us, uh, then you'll be able to kind of see where I'm coming from, see what I'm talking about, and get an understanding of even what's going on. But this is essentially the birth of the church, right? And I was uh, telling you guys, you know, last week, I, I like to know why we do things. Why, why do we do what we do, right? Why do we gather on Sundays? Uh, we were having a really, really great conversation at our Bible study, our men's Bible study on Thursday night. Uh, and and we, were, we were basically trying to, we were wrestling with some questions, and, and someone threw a great question. They said, why, why Sunday? You know, I hear there's people that they meet on Saturdays. You know, why do we meet on Sunday? And to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter, and Paul addresses this in one of his letters uh, in the New Testament, but it doesn't really matter uh, what day uh, we worship God. It's just that you have a day that you set aside uh, and that we still honor the Sabbath, right, and keep it holy. That there is a day that you stop what you're doing, you stop the busyness, you stop the craziness, uh, and, and you kind of go back and you say, you know what, I am just going to focus on the Lord today. I'm going to give him this day. This day is holy. And whatever day that is for you, and obviously the, the Christian church has chosen Sundays because it kind of represents the, the, the beginning of the week, right? Uh, some people celebrate it on Saturday, which is considered a Sabbath because uh, uh, God created uh, the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. So uh, there are churches who kind of uh, who hold on to that. They, they, they work six days, and then they rest on the seventh day. You might have heard of uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Um, they take Saturdays, and that's their day. It doesn't matter. Whatever day you want to take to worship God... Um, but uh, as long as you do that, as long as there is a day that you put aside, and by the way, it is one of the Ten Commandments. It is a command of the Lord that we take a day where we stop everything that we're doing. We stop the craziness of the demands of the world, and we say, God, this is your day. This is the day, you know, that I celebrate you, I worship you, that we come together as a family, and we rest and we, you know, just focus on the Lord and kind of refresh and renew ourselves. And then, of course, because we got to jump back in, uh, you know, to the week ahead. So where it all began, I'm, I'm looking at the, we're looking at the book of Acts. And I'm actually going to take two stories, uh, one's from Acts chapter 5 and the other one's in Acts uh, chapter 9. Uh, because we're seeing something interesting happen uh, and it, it kind of goes against what you may have heard about God, right? And, and, uh, and just to give a little bit of background, here's what's happened to catch you up so that you know where we're at kind of in this story. So Jesus died, he, he, he resurrected, he came back and he, he gathered his disciples together. He said, I'm gonna send you the helper. I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. You are gonna do more things and greater things uh, than even I've done. And I now will ascend and go and, and be seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and we see that Jesus ascends he goes back up to heaven, and, and uh, they go, and the, the disciples hang out in this place they call the upper room, and they hang out there for a while, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. In fact, so mightily that it says 
that, that they could see, you know, tongues of fire uh, above their heads. And, and they start speaking in other languages and, and that, that people from all over could understand them in their own language. And then Peter, in this act of boldness, walks outside to, you know, thousands of people and he starts preaching. He, he gives what I would consider the first Christian sermon, right? The, you know, uh, post, you know, Jesus uh, is Jesus' resurrection and stuff like that. He gives the first Christian sermon and, 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 you know, everybody gets saved. I mean, it's amazing. And all of a sudden, the church is born, right? What we know of now of the church, it is birthed and Christianity is born. In fact, it's not even called Christianity yet. They call it, they, they were calling him the followers of the way uh, back then. Uh, but th- this idea of the church begins right here with the power of the Holy Spirit to, to act in boldness, to go out and to make disciples, as Jesus told them to do, to go out and make disciples uh, and baptize, you know, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But there's this story that happens that kind of all of a sudden brings in my mind, everything to a screeching halt and kind of freaks me out a little bit. And we're going to take a, a look at, at this story uh, and then we're going to take a look at another story that happens just a couple chapters away and kind of contrast the two and kind of ask some questions uh, 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 why, right? Why? And, I, and I've labeled it God's judgment and his mercy. God's judgment and his, and his mercy. It's not something we talk about a lot. And not only that, it's something that we kind of look as the Old Testament. Well, God was really judgmental in the Old Testament, right? He was a really, man, look at the Old Testament. Man. He was just, you know, taking people out left and left and right. You know, he's really, he's an angry God, right? He was an angry God. Well, first of all, God does not change. Um, but with, through Jesus Christ, we're also able to see another, another side of God. And that's the, the merciful side, you know, that Jesus came and he came in mercy, and this really, you know, I, I wanted to talk about this topic. Uh, one, Chuck, uh, a couple weeks ago, he was, he was sharing something that is absolutely true. And he, I believe it was kind of, you know, during our worship time. And, and, and Jesus came in the beginning, you know, as an act of mercy. He was coming in this, this idea of, of salvation and mercy. And, and, and as Jesus came, you know, and you guys have seen the, the paintings of him, right? You know, he's always got like little lambs around him he's always got little children you know it just it looks so you know he, he just looks so nice right all of all of you have, would have wanted to have met Jesus you know back then he just looked you know he was always uh, you know he's, he's always portrayed as so um sweet and loving and caring and by the way he, he absolutely was those things but Jesus is returning we talk about that. It's part of the belief of the Christian faith that Jesus is coming back again, but he is not coming how he came the first time. They're, they're, in fact, he's coming to basically rule and reign. He's coming to finally set up you know, his rule and reign, and for those who have not been paying attention, for those who have not given their hearts, hearts to Christ, it is going to be a terrifying experience. The Bible says this, that Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some of them, though, you know, as we even see in, in uh, you know, the, the book of Revelations, you know, there's some that are going to be cast aside that Jesus will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. 
So that we need to understand that even though God is merciful and that he is loving, that there is judgment, that judgment is coming, that we need to understand that we can't just, you know, assume that, uh, that God doesn't care about what we're doing or how we're acting, that there is going to come a time that judgment will happen. And we actually see some of it uh, here in the, in the New Testament. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I had a dad that, um, uh, that, that brought down the law, right? I had a father that if, uh, in fact, I was one of those kids that my mom told me uh, when I was really, really young, oh, you just wait until your father comes home, right? Anybody remember, anybody ever heard that from their mom? You just wait until your father comes home. And that was because dad could dish it out way more than mom could, right? Way more than mom could. And sure enough, you know, my mom, when she spanked me, she would use a wooden spoon. Anybody else get the spoon or the belt or something like that, right? My mom used a wooden spoon. In fact, funny story, uh, there was a time that I got too old from it because she spanked me. And I must have been like, I don't know, 10 or something like that. And she took the spoon over me and she broke it. And I laughed at her. And she kind of looked at me and she goes, all right, I guess I think we're done with the spoon. You know, I think that, that is over. That is done, done with. But dad, on the other hand, did not need a spoon. He didn't need anything. When my dad would spank me with his bare hand, it hurt, right? It hurt. And there was this fear I had uh, of, of my father. Um, many of you know the story. My parents, my parents divorced, and I, you know, I kind of went to live with my mom. And there was a time that I knew I needed my dad again. I needed to, to reconnect with my father. I, 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 and so I went to live with him when I was 16, and I, um, I did some pretty dumb things, and one time I was on the phone, and uh, my dad told me to get off the phone, uh, because this was back when, you know, we only had one line, and if someone wanted to use the computer, you had to get off the phone so you could plug in the computer. I mean, there was all kinds of different reasons, but my dad basically said, get off the phone. And I don't know why, when I look back at this, how dumb I was, but I basically told him no. No, I'm on the phone. I'm gonna, you know, I was 16. I was cocky. I, you know, I was tough. You know, my dad came at me. He got in my face. He got. I mean, we were literally. I was, you know, getting taller then and stuff like that. And we were literally eye to eye. And he said it one more time. He said, "Get off the phone." And can I tell you, he scared the crap out of me. I thought he was gonna take me out right then and there. And I said, "I will get off the phone now." You know, I'm done. <laughs> But I, I say that to say that I had a healthy fear of my father, and I feel like that that's something that we're losing in our culture. You know, uh, was my dad perfect? No, my dad wasn't perfect. He could stand up here and he could tell you that he, you know, he wasn't the, the perfect father. In fact, are there, you know, there's no perfect fathers out there, but there is something that I feel like as a culture we're losing, and that is the idea of that healthy fear and and it, and in fact it, we don't have a fear of authority at all and it translates that we're not afraid of God e- either there is no healthy fear of God and I, and I want to talk about that today this this idea of of judgment of God's judgment and God's mercy so if you have your bibles uh, go to acts uh, chapter 5 uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 it's a crazy story it's, i i, I kind of like unearthing the not-so-pretty stories of the Bible, and this is one of them. This is kind of one of those stories where you go, whoa, 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 this doesn't look like the painting of Jesus, where he's with the little lamb around his shoulders, and he's got the kid on his knee and all that kind of stuff. Well, here we go. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. 
But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You, you weren't lying to us, but to God. And here's where it gets crazy. We're talking like Game of Thrones kind of crazy, which I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. But I'm assuming, from what I've heard, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. He fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Then a couple hours later, his wife comes and they ask her, hey, tell us about this property thing. And she basically gives the same story that Ananias did and she drops dead. What in the world is going on? Right? What is happening? And it's kind of one of these stories that, that makes me question and that makes me say, okay, God, what, you know, why did this happen? Why, why you know, was your judgment so severe? Now, let me explain what's going on in, in case you, you don't understand. In the early church, as the church was starting, they realized that, hey, there's this movement happening and, and we need to pool our resources together to, to, to get the word out, right? To, you know, to send people off to do things. And, uh, you know, they realized that it was going to take some, some money uh, also to help the, to help the church along, uh, as it always has, uh, you know, from the birth of the church even up until now. It takes finances to do things. And so what people were doing was they were saying, hey, you know what? We're going to, for example, we're going to sell, we've got some extra property over here. We're going to sell it and we're going to give it all to the church, you know, or, or hey, I got, a, I got a side job over here and I'm going to donate all my time, all my extra time and, and bless the church or, or whatever it was. But people were coming together. They were pooling their resources and, and helping each other out and blessing the church. So uh, what we can infer is that Ananias and Sapphira must have been one of those uh, couples in the church said, hey, hey, we want to bless the church. We have this property. We're going to sell it, and we're going to give 100% of the proceeds back to the church. Well, they didn't do that. What they did was is they said they were giving 100 of the proceeds, but they kept part of it to themselves. And, and, and as you see in the story, they, this was completely on them. They had not been asked by the church, so this wasn't something that the church told them to do or not to do. But what they did was they lied about it. They lied. They, they, were, they were, there was kind of this, they were, you know, projecting this false idea that, oh, look at us. Look how good, you know, we're blessing the church when really they were holding money, you know, back from, from the, for themselves. So what, what can we learn? What can we learn from this story, right? What, what can we take away? Now, I want to, before we get into the questions and, and answers part of it, I want to contrast it with another story in the Bible where we see God's judgment again, but we don't see it quite so severe. And it's actually with, with Paul himself, who is at this point Saul. So if you uh, have your Bibles or your apps, we're going to go to Acts 9, verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. 
says this, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Wow, right? Wow. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. Those are the Christians he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And he was approaching Damascus on this mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Then men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened up his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat nor drink. So here we have God's uh, judgment once again. And, and for those of you who don't know the backstory on Saul, he was, he was a man, he was zealous for God. He was zealous for the Jewish customs. He was so zealous that he was part of this group that was trying to hunt down Christians and kill them. He was trying to stop this thing called Christianity that seemed to be kind of gaining momentum. In fact, if you read, we, we skipped over it, but uh, there's the story of Stephen, and Stephen was, was uh, our very first you know, martyr in the book of Acts. He's the one who gave up his life. He was stoned for preaching the gospel, uh, and, and it, it is believed and even referenced in scripture uh, that Saul was there. That Saul was literally a part of, you know, the stoning uh, uh, of Stephen. And so here he is. I mean, this guy is a murderer. This guy is out to destroy Christianity. So why, why God's judgment and mercy? And, I, and I, I, I've heard this phrase before. It's not my, my phrase, but it, it's something that I want you to understand about God, Okay. We have the tendency to only want to look at the pretty pictures, that we only want to look at the, the, side, the warm and fuzzy side of God. And, and, I, and this is actually a, a quote that a very good friend of mine has always said, her name's Nadine, but she would always say, not either, oh, not either or, but both and more. God is not either or, but he's both and more. We need to look at God's completeness. Because if we look at God's completeness and we understand, then we will have a healthy fear of God. We will have a healthy fear, a healthy respect. That's what that means. It doesn't mean just to be afraid and, and you're shaking in your boots you know, uh, uh, for God. But it's this healthy respect. It's like when my dad told me to get off the phone, instead of saying, no, I'll do what I want. The fact that when he came at me, that there was this fear that he could really hurt me. That there was this fear that he could take me out. And at that time, he could. And it scared me. And so I have, the, I have this healthy fear. But we need to have this healthy fear of the Lord. So let's ask ourselves some questions. I love asking questions. I, I don't just read the Bible, but I, I like to read the Bible and I like to ask questions and hope that I can find the answers also through God's word. So why was Ananias and Sapphira's crime, or what, sorry, what was Ananias and Sapphira's crime? What was their crime, right? What, what was their sin, okay? 
Well, this is what I believe that their sin was. They did not trust God. They had no trust in God. They, they knew the truth. That's scary. They knew the truth. They knew the good news. They knew who God was. This isn't like a couple who didn't know who God was, right? They, they weren't in ignorance. They knew the truth, and they were literally, you know, rebelling against it. I mean, we're really kind of starting to see uh, the attitude uh, uh, of this couple. Their trust was in themselves. Their trust was in themselves. They were putting trust in the no. We know what's better, right? We don't trust God to give him, you know, all, all, all of what we have. Uh, we are going to hold back and we are going to hide and we are putting our, our trust in ourselves. They lied to God and they lied to God's people, okay? They lied to God and they, they lied to God's people. The, uh, the, the book of Revelation uh, throws out, this is the first time uh, in the Bible that we actually see the, the term lukewarm, you ever heard that, that term, you know, lukewarm, right? But it, it, it's referred to scripture. Uh, it's based on somebody's faith, right? Uh, it, uh, in the book of Revelations, it says, um, you know, I would rather that you be hot or cold. I would rather that you would be one or the other. I would rather you be all gung-ho about one or all gung-ho about the other. But in Revelations 3.15, it says, so then, because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, it says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. All right? That is a, um, a not a pretty picture, right? For those of you who have kids, we have definitely seen what vomit looks like, right? I will vomit you out of my mouth. And so I, I'm using this scripture because I believe this was Ananias and Sapphira's problem. They weren't, they weren't giving themselves completely to God. They weren't trusting in God fully. They were still holding back and they were still saying, no, God, we're, you, you know, we may give you a little bit of our lives, but we're not giving our lives completely to you. We don't trust you. And then they lied. And then they lied. Satan, you guys, is the father of lies, the Bible says. Satan is the father of lies. But most importantly, and this is what I thought was interesting, how are we saved, right? And, and I, I understand Jesus Christ is the one who saved us, but, but how, how do we come to that place? It, we are saved through our faith, okay? Faith is the pinnacle. It's what has to happen in us for salvation. And, and what's, what's great about that is you don't, there's nothing you have to do to earn salvation. You don't have to be the perfect person. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to talk a certain way. You don't have to come from a certain uh, you know, uh, background or, or have a certain amount of money or any of that to be saved. But you do have to have one thing, and that is faith. And what... The light bulb that went off in my head in this moment was Ananias and Sapphira had obviously no faith in God because they were not trusting him and then they were lying about it and they obviously had no faith in God. So the one thing that saves us is faith that they were obviously struggling with it. And I believe that was why their, their punishment was so severe. But let's look at that. Why was their punishment so severe? Why? I think this is a great question to ask because this is the first time in the New Testament that we're seeing God's wrath kind of being poured out upon two people. By the way, Christians, whoa, right? 
it should kind of perk our ears, right? We should kind of take notice of this. Why was their punishment so severe? Well, first of all, God is holy. We need to never forget, you guys, here is the problem with our culture and our society is that we have no fear of God. We have no understanding of God. God is holy. God is holy. That means any time that there is, uh, is unholiness, right? We can't be in the presence of God when there is unholiness. It is why Jesus came. It is why our salvation, you guys, why we should be leaping with joy because of our salvation. Because really, you know, unholiness, sin cannot be in the presence of holiness. And God is holy. God knew God knew that their heart was evil. In fact, we see that stated in, in, in verse 3. When Peter says, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? He said, why have you let Satan fill your heart? We, we know in this moment that they must have been plotting this. This must have been something that, that wasn't just out of ignorance, like, oh, we made a mistake, right? It wasn't just, you know, this idea of, oops, they knew better. They knew what they were doing. In fact, God could have struck them down the moment they made the decision, but really, he was gracious and merciful to see, I'm going to let you kind of play this thing out. I'm going to see how far you take this thing, right? Because most of the times, our sinful decisions, where do they start? They start in our head, right, before they become action. So they had already made the decision. Satan had already filled their heart. They had already plotted uh, you know, uh, amongst themselves that they were going to do this thing before they acted it out. So really, you can see God's mercy still being shown here that he waited until they had fulfilled what they were going to do. They had waited until they had completely acted out their sin before he said, that's enough. That is enough. I, I, I gave you opportunity to change your mind. Think about that the next time. A decision in your mind, a sinful decision starts to take, you know, starts in the head. God is still giving you an opportunity to stop it before it plays out and becomes action, right? God also made them an example. It's sad. It's sad that they had to be the example, but God was also saying, look, you guys need to have a healthy fear. You guys need to understand that you need to be obedient to what I am calling you to do because I am holy, because I am righteous. There is still judgment, you guys. We are under his mercy and his grace right now, but judgment is still coming for those who will not believe, who choose not to believe. That is the truth. And can I tell you, that is something that we don't talk about enough in Christianity. That is something we don't talk about enough in church we come to church, and to be honest with you, I would rather personally do this sometime. I would rather make you feel, oh, so good. Candy coat everything for you and make you think, Christianity is just, it's so fun. It's such a great thing. Oh, I feel so good. But the other thing that I see in the Bible is the Holy Spirit convicts you guys. That's how we turn away from things that we shouldn't be doing, from roads we shouldn't be going down, from, from thoughts we shouldn't be having, is the Holy Spirit comes and convicts. And we need that. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, we're losing it. And it's scaring me because even in the church, I'm not seeing conviction anymore. And God is a God who will not be mocked. 
He is a God who's, who should be taken seriously. And he is a God who is holy. He made them an example. And listen, God demands respect. God demands respect. Psalms 33.8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We need you guys to get back to that place where we fear the Lord, where we say, God, I do not want to disappoint you. I do not want to do what is against your will. I do not want to go down that road that would disappoint you. I don't want to do that because, God, I have a healthy fear of you, that I understand who you are. What what can we learn from Ananias and Sapphira? What can we learn from them? All right, here's the takeaway, okay? Here's how to not follow in their footsteps, all right? First of all, know this. Know that God knows our hearts, okay? God knows our hearts. Going back to that question of, you know, of faith. God knows. And this isn't about whether you're going to make mistakes or not. Please, please understand me. This isn't about go and be perfect. That's not what... What, what, you know, what we're saying here, because we're going to, by the way, we're going to get to Paul in just a second. We're going to get it to Saul. Saul was not a perfect guy either. But God knows our hearts. He knows what we do in secret. We, we can't lie to him. So don't, right? So don't lie to him. At least be truthful and honest about your life. At least be truthful and honest about the things. You know, God would rather you come to him and say, Lord, I know that this is, is wrong in me. Or I know that this is something, you know, that where I have failed in. And God would rather have us just be honest about our lives than think we can hide and, and think that he doesn't know. He knows. He knows. God will not let our sins go unpunished. So what should we do? Confess your sins. Confess your sins. Confess your sins to him. Any opportunity you get, confess your sins. Right? Don't, he knows. And we must trust God with our whole lives. This is really what it comes down to. This is really what we need to understand is we need to trust God in every place in our lives. And, and I, I, I've shared with you guys before that, you know, I can trust God. I don't know why it is, but in one part of my life, I can really, really trust God. But then all of a sudden, my wife and I will be having a, a conversation about the finances, and I freak out. All of a sudden, why is, so why is God the God of my life over here, but he's not the God of my finances, right? Or, or why is it that, you know, when we start talking about our, our, our daughters, that, you know, we're, we start worrying and, and freaking out that God isn't going to come through and take care of us? Why is it that I can trust God with one part of my life, but over here I freak out and I seem to lose it? We need to trust God. And by the way, this I'm preaching to myself. We need to trust God in every single part of our lives. You need to trust God with your family. You need to trust God with your finances. You need to trust God with your health. You need to give God every single part of your life because he wants to help you. And by, by the way, he's the only one who can. He's the only one who can. Let's look at Paul. Let's look at Paul now. Let's contrast this because I know I've bummed you out 
right now, and, and Christianity is looking awful, and what? This isn't what I, you know, grew up in Sunday school. But let's look at the other side. Let's look at, remember, remember what I said. It's not either or. It's both and more. What about Paul? Paul's crime was that he was a murderer. Okay? Murderer. Now, if I was to come to you and I said, what do you think is a worse crime, lying or murdering, right? We would all probably go, well, murdering, that's terrible, right? We all kind of have this standard that murdering, here, I'll stop, you want to take a picture? <laughs> I, I move around so much that when my wife tries to take pictures of me, they're all blurred and, and all this stuff, so. <laughs> I've made Karen's morning. He was murdering Christians. But this also speaks to something. God does not see sin on any different level. There's not, there's not someone's sin over here that's worse than someone's sin over here. It's the same, right, Sal? It's exactly the same. Sin is sin. And if you're sinning, if you're sinning against God and you're lying, then you're sinning against God. If you're sinning against God and you're murdering, then you're sinning against God. If you're doing anything that God has told us not to do, you are sinning against God. When my dad told me to get off the phone the first time, I should have gotten off the phone. I'll tell you this, I'm glad I got off the phone the second time. Because there wouldn't have been a third time. But that's my point, you guys. God gives us opportunities. He says one time, get off the phone, right? Says it a second time, get off the phone. Don't wait. Don't wait because there may not be, there may not be a third time. Paul was a murderer. So why was his punishment less severe? I had that question. Okay, God, I, I don't understand this. Why Ananias and Sapphira? Why take them out? Why, why was your judgment so heavy upon them? And then here's Saul murdering Christians, God. Your people, right? Why? I believe that, again, God knew his heart. God knew Saul was acting in ignorance and zealousness. If there's one thing that God always looks at, he doesn't look on the outside. See, we would have done this. We would have put, if, if somebody had put Ananias and Sapphira and, Paul, and Saul at the time in front of us in that moment, we all probably would have, you know, cast judgment upon Paul immediately. He was murdering people. But we probably would have looked at Ananias and Sapphira not understanding their heart because we can't see, you know, into their heart and probably thought, oh, well, you know, they just made a mistake. But see, God knew otherwise. He wasn't looking on the exterior. He wasn't looking on the outside. He wasn't looking with human eyes. He was looking straight into the heart and he knew something different about Paul. He knew there was something different about him. So what can we learn from Paul? What can we learn from Paul? Acts 26, 14, this is actually Paul's words uh, later on. See, in early Acts, right, he's not even part of the group. He's not a Christian yet. But Paul actually comes back around, and he actually describes the scenario himself in Acts 26, 14. He says, we all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. It is useless for you. In fact, uh, another version says, uh, you know, why are you kicking against the goads? And, and there's a reason 
There's a reason why that description is used, kicking against the goats, is because that's how you would, you would get like a donkey to move, right? Yeah, it, 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 it's called goading him, right? You get, you know, get an animal, a beast, to, to move where it wanted. They would goad him. And if an animal was kicking against the goats, they'd be like, stop that, right? Stop that, you know, kick against the thing that's trying to direct you. And so Jesus is trying to say that. He's saying, listen, sometimes I'm trying to direct you, but you're fighting me. You're kicking against me because you don't like it, right? Paul thought he was fighting for God, but he was actually fighting against him. This is something I, I, I don't think about enough. Sometimes I think in my zealousness that I'm doing something. This is what God wants me to do, right? And sometimes I find myself that I'm actually fighting against him because I'm not even paying attention to him anymore. I'm just off on my zealousness, or I'm off on my own will, or you know, whatever it is that I want to do. And by the way, I have done that in my life. I have done that in my, in my Christianity, and can I tell you, I have been disciplined by the Lord because of it. Paul thought he was fighting for, for God, but he was actually fighting against himself. There is a difference between God's judgment and his discipline. There's a difference between this immediate act of, uh, of judgment and God's discipline. And by the way, if God is disciplining you, that is a good thing, right? That is a good thing. It says this, Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. If you are being disciplined by the Lord, it is because he loves you. It is because he wants to set you on a path that will lead to, you know, life and more abundant. Not the road that leads to death and destruction, which is where we usually set ourselves down. By the way, for those of you who are parents in this room, take note. Take note of how God our Father parents. The Lord disciplines those he loves. If you love your children, you will discipline them. If you truly love your children, and I'll be honest, it is a hard thing to do. I hate seeing my, my girls, you know, sad, right? But I would rather them be sad for a moment than be lost for an eternity. I would rather my children be sad for a moment, which, by the way, they will forget about the next day, than be lost for eternity. The Lord disciplines those he loves. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Paul was fighting against God's will. Paul was fighting against God's will. He was literally kicking against the goads. There's something that I have felt, and I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Sometimes we think we're under enemy attack, right? Sometimes, oh, Satan's out to get me. Oh, my gosh, Satan's out to get me this week. When really, is it God's prompting is it God saying you know no I'm doing something I am trying to refine you I am trying to direct you that's all you know you give way too much credit to Satan he's not everywhere right he is not omnipresent he only has so many demons in, in his you know under him right it's not always Satan sometimes it is God saying I am trying to teach you something I am trying to direct you. And sometimes we need to ask ourselves that. Is this truly an enemy attack? And, and let, me, let me kind of teach you a little bit of how, of how you know. If you're stepping out in faith in something, 
that God has asked you to do in obedience? Yeah, you're usually going to be, there's usually going to be some attack. There's going to be some pushback. But sometimes, sometimes you may start to get off skew a little bit. You may start to get off on your own and you may start to do, you know, kind of your own will or, or the way you think it should be done. And sometimes God wants to direct you back. But it doesn't feel good all the time. Right? He's trying to direct you. You know, it's like, you know, you're trying to get an animal and kind of smack him a little bit. Or like when you're on a horse, right? You kick him with the spurs a little bit. I want to encourage you, don't kick against the goads. Don't kick against God's prompting in your life. His will. Do not kick against that. Ask the Lord, Lord, are you trying to show me something? Are you trying to teach me something? Because I'm going through a time right now and it's very uncomfortable. Usually when I'm going through times that are very uncomfortable, and especially if things don't like kind of change right away, I usually figure, okay, God, you're trying to teach me something. You're trying to teach me something. Two more scriptures and then we're done. Jeremiah 7, 5 says this. He says, but I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Joel 2.13 says, Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not to punish. You guys, we need to understand the heart of God. He doesn't want to He doesn't want to have to bring down judgment, but because he is holy, he will. He doesn't want to have to discipline us, but he will if it means saving you from an eternity away from him. If it means restoring you back to him, he will discipline us. In fact, he loves you that much. But even though judgment will come, The one thing the Bible talks about all the time is that he is holding it back for us. He is holding back the wrath. He is holding back the judgment because he is giving us time to repent. And I'm telling you all right now, the fact that you are breathing and the fact that you are sitting in this room means that his mercy is upon you. And myself included. Myself, most of all, that he is giving us time to turn to him. And that is his mercy. He is holding back the judgment because he loves us, because he cares for us. So listen, don't let that story scare you, okay? And don't get caught up in the, you know, going around thinking, oh, who's that going to happen to, right? Who's going to be the next person to drop dead, you know? I'm watching you. I'm watching that guy. Sleeping. Frank's been sleeping over there. Is he alive? You know, what's going on? You know, you don't have to worry about that. We don't have to walk around in fear like that because that is not who God is, but we do need to know who he is and we do need to have a healthy fear because God is holy. And there will come a day that Jesus will come back again and judgment and he will judge the world. It is the truth. So listen, this is your chance now and this is the opportunity to share your faith and and love for your friends and your family. Because I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I'm watching our culture 
and it's getting worse and worse and worse, and we're allowing more and more and more. And this idea of the fear of the Lord and this idea of, of wanting to please God and this idea, it's just, I'm not seeing it anymore. Nobody, nobody cares, you know, nobody wants to follow God and, and be obedient to his word anymore. Let's pray as we close our, our service today. Could I have uh, the worship team? I don't enjoy talking about these things because, you know, I I struggle with, I want people to like me, right? I want everybody to like me. But there is one person I have to answer to when all this is over, and that is God himself. And I can't ignore I can't ignore the other things in the Bible just because they're not popular. And that is the problem with our culture is we don't want to put in the hard work anymore. That we only want to feel good. But there is something to say about the Holy Spirit's conviction. And it's something that I pray for all the time. Holy Spirit, convict me. Do not let my heart become so callous that I, that I can just fall or just walk into, uh, uh, you know, uh, an area of my life that would be detrimental. Keep my spirit sensitive to you. May I continue to understand that God is holy and that he is so deserving of my, my fear and my adoration of him my utter trust in him, my my utter respect in him. Jesus is not your homeboy. There used to be a shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. He's not your homeboy, he's your savior. And that's the problem. My dad said something to me that at the time it hurt, but I've come to understand it. He was disciplining me. I was being a knucklehead. And he said something to me that really upset me at the time. He said, I'm not your friend. I am not your friend. He said, I am your father. And you know what? At the time, I I didn't quite get it until I got older. I had plenty of friends. I had plenty of people I could run to and who would make me feel better and who would, you know, tell me all the great things that I wanted to hear. But the one thing I needed, I needed a father. I needed someone who was going to tell me the truth, even if it hurts. Yes, is Jesus our friend? The Bible does say that, but he's so much more. And God is a loving, caring father. But he also disciplines those he loves. So do not kick against the goads. Do not fight when his discipline has come to you. Accept it. 
Because even though Saul was disciplined and he lost his sight, he actually regained his sight. And as we know, he became to, to be one of the most influential men of the early church. He wrote almost the entire last part of the New Testament and all with all of his letters. See, he stopped fighting God. He stopped wrestling with the Lord and he finally trusted him. And because of that, we're blessed. your heads and close your eyes with me.